by now. I'm talking about Chi-Town. and taking it out of the air. Lord Stanley's new address is sweet home Chicago. The Chicago Blackhawks have won the Stanley Cup. Maybe we could start again. Happy Thanksgiving, Chicago sports fans, and welcome in to another episode of the Second City Show. I'm your host, Patrick Flowers, and we got a good episode in store for you today. Today is going to be the Zach Wheeler episode. I got two guests lined up right now. We're going to be talking to Tim Ryder senior writer at Metsmerized who reported last Saturday that the White Sox were the highest bidder for Zach Wheeler. And we're also going to be talking to Michael Barron, formerly of SNY and MLB.com, who's covered the Mets and Zach Wheeler for some time. So it should be a good episode. Quickly, before we get into the guest, though, as we know, as of now, Wheeler is still a free agent, and we heard a timeline um, in, the, in the week or two previous, that Thanksgiving was going to be kind of the date uh, to watch for in terms of Zach Wheeler signing anywhere, not just with the White Sox. Um, the market for Wheeler was going to move faster than most of the pitchers available on the open market, like Garrett Cole and Steven Strasburg. So we're, we're right here in the crunch time here, um, waiting on Wheeler to get signed. So we're going to talk to Tim Ryder, uh, a little bit about his report from last weekend at the White Sox were the highest bidder on Wheeler. We're going to circle back to that and try to see if, as far as he can tell, uh, whether that still stands true today. We're also going to ask him about the second part of his report that Wheeler would circle back to the Mets no matter what offer he got outside of the Mets, and we'll see uh, what the chances of him going back to New York are, if any at all. We'll get his opinion on what Wheeler brings to the table if he was to come to the White Sox. And then we'll talk to Michael Barron, formerly of SNY and MajorLeagueBaseball.com, and we'll get his take on what Wheeler can bring to the table for the White Sox if he was to land here in Chicago. But before we get into it, I want to make sure that everybody is following us on Twitter. You can find us on Twitter at at Second City Show. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Coach P. Flowers. Make sure you're following ONTAP Sports Network on Twitter as well at ONTAP Sports Net. And, of course, make sure you like, subscribe, rate, download, all that good stuff. We're available on iTunes, Spotify, uh, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, anywhere you can consume podcasts, Google Play Store. Make sure you give us a like, give us a rating. Check out the episode that dropped last night, the first uh, episode in our series that we're going to entitle The Sox Social. That was with Joe Lorenzana, the creator of the Chicago White Sox exclusive Facebook fan community. We talked to Joe about everything White Sox, uh, his experiences as a White Sox fan, as a season ticket holder, um, as you know, the curator of a White Sox fan community, and much more. So make sure you go check that episode out. Give us a like, give us a rate, and now we're going to get into it. I'm going to welcome our first guest of the day, Tim Ryder. Hey, Tim, thanks for joining us today. How are you? Doing great. Thanks for having me, Patrick. Absolutely. Tim, uh, last weekend you reported on Zach Wheeler that uh, the White Sox were currently at that time the highest bidder in his market. And you also reported that regardless of the offer that he might receive, he's going to circle back with the Mets and give them an opportunity to talk. Can you expound a little bit on that for us? Sure. Um, Yeah, I spoke to my source on Saturday. Uh, 
they did inform me that uh, the White Sox at the time were the highest bidders. There are multiple teams. Um, I guess they did express uh, that things were moving a bit quickly, but um, yeah, I guess the multiple teams, I, I guess on the Mets side, um, I, I don't know if that's a loyalty thing. Um, it was pretty much, well, it was pretty well known that Wheeler um, enjoyed his time in New York. Uh, he was comfortable here. Um, at this point, the more teams that get involved and the more a bidding war kind of ensues, I kind of see the Mets kind of shying away, but um, I guess for Wheeler to at least extend them the chance to, to match an offer, it's just a real stand-up move. And uh, I know the fan base appreciates it. Yeah, I can understand that. Um, so... It- Today, now we're five days removed from that. Um, as far as you know, today, is that still the same? Does it still stand that the White Sox are the highest bidder, to your best of your knowledge? To the best of my knowledge, yes. Again, a lot of times passed since then. Um, I have heard more about the Reds, um, not specifically from, from my sources, but just from other reports around the league. Um, the Reds are showing interest. The Twins are another team really interested in them. Um, it seems like the market's really developing. Uh, I'm not sure if it's, you know, if they're going to wait for dominoes to fall or try to maybe set the market themselves. But um, at least, you know, through my eyes, the White Sox are a very viable destination. Uh, bright future, lots of money to spend. It looks like they're renewing their commitment to winning, at least uh, in earnest at this point. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm really, I'm very interested to see how the market continues to develop or whether... Uh, he does strike while the iron is hot. So, John, um, Dan Hayes of The Athletic, he covers the Minnesota Twins, and he used to cover the Chicago White Sox a couple years before he got picked up by The Athletic. He actually tweeted out a little while ago that he's hearing that the market for Wheeler right now is going to be somewhere in the ballpark of five years and 100 to 110 million. Does that sound about accurate on your end? Um, I didn't get any money information on my end, but as far as value, um, it's going to be tough to argue with those numbers. I think that, uh, um, at least in this market, where the exit velocity and uh, it's kind of taking over the game, and Zach Wheeler is just uh, extremely, um, he's very good at limiting hard contact. Last mm-hmm. season, he was the, uh, he had the sixth lowest hard hit percentage in, in the majors among starters. Uh, I think that that's going to hold a lot of value. And especially once your team get teams, especially interdivision teams, like you would say maybe the Twins and the White Sox, uh, bidding over them, um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he does reach that plateau of, uh, of $100 million. That's a really good statistic that you just threw out there um, with the sixth lowest hard hit percentage in baseball for Wheeler because – Guaranteed rate field is known as a hitter's ballpark. So, I mean, to keep the ball in there, to reduce hard hit contact, that that's a big plus. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that that's an internal conversation that the White Sox have already had and they're aware of, or at least I hope they are. But that's uh, something that probably our everyday listener didn't know. So that's that's promising there. He, oh, for sure. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, that's okay. Go, go ahead. I mean, over the past two seasons, he dealt with a lot of injury issues. He had Tommy John, um, a lot of speed bumps on his way back from that. Um, came into 2018 just trying to stay healthy, and by the end of the season, uh, he was you know right behind Jacob Degrom, who eventually won the National League Cy Young, as one of the best pitchers in baseball over that second half. Uh, his 2019 was a bit inconsistent at times, but you know there were flashes. 
of uh, the, the second half of 2018, Wheeler we saw. And, um, you know, over the last two seasons, he's got a 3.65 ERA. Uh, his 8.9 F4 are his good for ninth, ninth in the majors among starting pitchers over the last two seasons. So that I think that value is really going to translate into his next contract. And, um, you know, I think especially pitching to a uh, Yasmani Grandal, I think that's a very high selling point for the White Sox. Mm-hmm. Um, his receiving skills are just, you know, outstanding. Um, I think that's a, uh, certainly a perk if, if he is considering them. Uh, obviously, he is considering them, but uh, it's got to be appealing. Um, and the city of Chicago. I mean, just I've, I've come through a couple of times, and it's an outstanding city. And going from New York to Chicago, I think, would be a nice transition for for, uh, for Wheeler and his, and his you know, family and friends. Andy Martino of um, SNY, he was talking to Chuck Garfine of NBC Sports Net Chicago out here by us the other day on a podcast. And one thing he brought up was that he that uh, Wheeler did take a liking to live in New York City. Um, and Chicago, like New York City, is a big major metropolitan area. How, in your experience, how does he fare with the media? I mean, you're big city, a lot of cameras in your face. I mean, especially if he comes here to Chicago, he's going to be the immediate ace of this young pitching staff. And he's going to have a camera in his face all day, every day, from the onset of spring training and moving forward. How do you think he's going to respond to that? Um, Jack Wheeler, I mean, you know, just outside looking in, uh, always just total accountability with the media. Um, of course, being in New York and having that amount of uh, press in the locker room on a, on a nightly basis, um, one can only assume it becomes just a normal routine and uh, always well-spoken, always takes full responsibility, uh, really just a um, uh, stand-up guy, player in, in, in every measure, at least from a, from, from a fan's perspective. Awesome. That's good to hear. Um, so if and you touched on this a little bit earlier um, when we talked about him circling back to the Mets and then the Mets probably end up losing out as the bidding war intensifies for him. Um, you look at the rotation in New York and they've got uh, Syndergaard and they've got DeGrom. And obviously DeGrom is, is a step above all of them. Um, and Syndergaard was mentioned a lot in trade talks leading up to the trade deadline this year, but it, it seems like they've decided that, that, that that's not going to be the move for them. From somebody who watches those three guys for the last couple of years pitch consistently, Syndergaard and, and uh, Wheeler, where do you see them in comparison to each other? And maybe did the Mets make uh, the right move there and who they moved on from? That's a pretty good question. Um... As far as raw talent, I, I don't think uh, I think it's tough to, to top Syndergaard's raw talent. Um, he's when he's on, I mean, he's just as good as Degrom. Um, mm-hmm. Finding consistency has really been an issue, uh, you know, and that's kind of the same for all young pitchers. Right? No one's going to have a Degrom type season or a, or a, a Verlander type season every year. Um, but Wheeler. <laughs> It's funny because he has all the makeup and, and all the skills and all the talent of, of an ace. Um, finding his way uh, towards that point where it's just automatic every time. And of course, it's never automatic for a pitcher, but um, he, he's really, he's worked on shortening those rough patches and really just finding his groove so much faster. Uh, it, it's, <laughs> I think Wheeler has the potential to be in that conversation of, of top tier guys. And I 
think right now it's a good comparison between Sidney Martin and Wheeler because they're both, you know, really struggling to find that consistency and move him from that second tier up to the upper echelon. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Wheeler, now that he's really found his um, his confidence on the mound, I guess you could say, mm-hmm. that that next step or that next gear is really going to be that that one that takes him to that next level. So uh, I would say I'm giving an answer as a, as a to be determined on on who has the higher ceiling, but uh, equal equal skills, because really, Wheeler's just a, he's a power guy. I'm not sure if he's followed in 2018. He developed a split-finger fastball as a two-strike pitch, mm-hmm. and, and this thing was just, it was it was disgusting. It was nasty. It fell off the table just like a splitter should, and it left hitters baffled. And last season, he kind of shied away from that, and uh, you, you kind of saw him use his, uh, his slider and his curve to, uh, at least it's a very good, um, good results as well. I know his expected stats on his curveball last season were uh, were really just shy. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but really um, I want to say top 90th or 90th percentile in the majors. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's been a joy watching him develop, and uh, I guess him taking this next step, wherever it might be, um, at least from a Mets fan's perspective, I think we're all very uh, just happy for him. We want to see him do well, because we know the, the adversity that he faced. That's good stuff, Tim. Hey, another thing that uh, came up in the recent days is, obviously we mentioned that we, we signed Yasmani Grandal last week, um, and that leaves us with James McCann pretty much as a backup catcher now after having an all-star season last year. And you know the Mets have Wilson Ramos, and he's in a contract year, and not much depth behind that, especially in the minor leagues, um, is – would the Mets be one of the teams, maybe giving the White Sox a call to kick the tires on James McCann? I wouldn't be surprised. I know he has some offensive upside. Um, at least at, through, through, through what I'm hearing, the Mets are kind of valuing defense when it comes to finding someone to stick with Ramos. Um, the, the guy who was playing behind him last season, uh, Tomas Nito, mm-hmm. uh, an excellent defensive catcher, but his bat really hasn't developed at the major league level. He, he did win a batting title back in the, I guess it was single A or advanced day. He won a batting title, but it really just hasn't, um, the bat hasn't caught up to his fielding skills. I, I think they want to find the best of both worlds when it comes to a, a offensively capable and defensively apt backstop. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they kicked the tires on McCann. I know they mentioned uh, Robinson Chirinos as a possible target, and he's not much better defensively than Ramos is, so... Uh, yeah, I think they're going to have to maybe get creative and um, I guess find the right the right fit. Maybe you would, you would want to say. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I think McCann's a possibility. Sure. It was McCann is an interesting case because you know he had the he had the red hot first half last year at the plate and the second half wasn't as good, but it wasn't bad. And he was praised the entire year by Lucas Giolito, especially. Lucas Giolito credited McCann for a lot of his success um, in, his, in his breakout year, and so did the coaching staff on his ability to study and prepare for games and get pitchers ready. And then you go and look at the end of the year at his defensive metrics, and he was among the worst in the league. So it was kind of it was it was an inter- it was a weird weird year for him. So I don't it, it's kind of tough to project what kind of value he might have outside of the organization at that point because it's it's scattered all over the place. Well, yeah, I think that that pitcher catcher relationship is really understated. 
I know last season, last season in New York, towards the end of the year, um, Syndergaard, you know, he, he publicly asked to uh, to have a personal catcher and not pitch to Ramos. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that kind of got the wheels turning as far as them finding a real uh, defensively-minded catcher who's capable at the plate to kind of plug in there for the guys who are more comfortable with a, uh, a guy who can block balls in the dirt. But uh, I, I want to say McCann was one of the best pitchers, one of the best guys to block the ball Blocking balls in the dirt. He was. He's a great blocker, but he, in terms of frame, pitch framing, and and defensive runs saved, he was among the worst in the league. With, yeah. You know, you don't, and that's something you really don't notice till the end of the year. And I know that you know defensive metrics are are kind of volatile, and 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 you know some people hold a lot of weight with them, and some people just completely discard them. I don't know. I guess it's in the eye of the beholder when it comes to that. <laughs> You know, defensive runs saved, um, you know, a, a negative 9 or a negative 7 DRS, uh, you know, just visually it doesn't look great. But when you look at it, the league averages, um, you know, it's like two outs below average or two in some cases, depending on the position, it might actually be a tick above average but or right at that line. So, yeah, it, you know, it's they're, they're certainly viable stats, but... Um, at first glance, you know, you see someone with a negative six anything, and it's like, oh, well, oh, <laughs> right. a there's a lot more to the picture. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I hate to do it to you, but if I, if your back was against the wall and I had to, and you had to choose one team that's going to end up winning the Wheeler sweepstakes at this point, who do you got? Um, in my head, I see the Padres as a dark horse, and I really haven't heard much about them. I know they were linked to him early, but uh, there really hasn't been much much word coming out of San Diego. I, I wouldn't be shocked if they make a run at him. I really like what's brewing in Chicago. I kind of sold myself. I did a little homework. Very nice um, minor league system. Mm-hmm. Uh, Giolito. Um, pairing Giolito with a veteran pitcher whose talents are on that same level will really ease him into the next into his next gear. I, I, I see that all as appealing to me. Um, learning from guys like like um, Degrom and uh, the other veteran pitchers who were in the organization uh, over the last few years, it, it kind of helped Wheeler along. Kind of learning how to be a professional. And I, I, you know, this is speculation, but I think that someone like Giolito would be fun to be like, "Hey, I want to see him do better, and I think I can help him be that guy." Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, uh, yeah, sure. I'm on the Chicago White Sox podcast. Let's go with the White Sox. Is my favorite. <laughs> That's going to be a popular answer for sure. But I'll tell you what: as long as you didn't say the, as long as you didn't say the Minnesota Twins, you'll you you'll have some fans in terms of listeners there. Well, you have to expect the Twins to make a real push. But um, yeah, I like Chicago's doing what they have to do this winter. They're not really um waiting. You know, they're not wasting any time. They went out and got Grandal. He's the best catcher on the market. Um, you know, if they see a guy, if they see something they want, they're going to get it. Um. um it's actually impressive, especially after the stagnant market that we saw in the last two years. Yeah, it's quite refreshing over here. I mean, that last year it was like a giant game of musical chairs, and the White Sox were flirting with Machado, and they were flirting with Harper, and then when the music stopped, the White Sox were just standing there with nothing, no, no seat at the table, nobody. And so, you know, it's just a complete 180 this year. You know, they dropped that bombshell on us onto their own social media account. And the White Sox are notorious for loving to break their own news, so that's not really surprising. But it's it's quite refreshing over here right now. It's a whole different feel to the offseason in Chicago. Oh, 
it's refreshing to hear. Cause I think as Mets fans, we kind of hold a um, we hold a bond with White Sox fans. We, 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 <laughs> we become known as the little brothers in, in our city. Yeah. You know, it's um, yeah, we're, we're, we're rooting for you. Absolutely. Hey, Tim, I appreciate you coming on today. Happy Thanksgiving, and best of luck to your Mets moving forward. Oh, same to you, Patrick. Thank you for having me. Happy Thanksgiving to you guys. And sure, yeah, let's go Sox, man. All right, thanks, buddy. I'll talk to you. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. All right, folks, that was Tim Ryder, senior writer at Metsmerized, who had some pretty interesting things to say. Um, Confirmed that... Uh, the White Sox were, to the best of his knowledge, uh, the highest bidder still for Wheeler, and that the market that uh, Dan Hayes shared with us today, five for 100 to 110 million, seems to be pretty accurate, just based upon performance and values of uh, Wheeler. But uh, but more importantly, a lot of the things that he had to say about Wheeler in terms of his progression and his career arc and the way that he's turned himself into a consistent pitcher and one that you know could have a ceiling that eventually matches or exceeds that of a guy like Noah Syndergaard, somebody who you know has been looked at as a star, you know, an upper echelon pitcher in baseball for quite a few years now. That was really interesting to hear. I also really liked the uh, Wheeler has such a low hard hit rate. I think that'll play really well on the south side. So it's good stuff from Tim. Uh, before we welcome in our next guest, make sure you go follow Tim Ryder at Timothy R. Ryder on Twitter. Go follow Metsmerized at Metsmerized. And you can also follow Tim's podcast at Simply Amazing Pod. If we haven't yet lost you to a Thanksgiving turkey coma at this point, we're going to welcome in our next guest, Michael Barron. Michael has covered the New York Mets for a number of years at places like SNY and MLB.com and has a good idea of what Zach Wheeler would bring to the table for the White Sox if he was to end up landing here at the, when the uh, dust settles on the Wheeler sweepstakes. You can find Michael Barron on Twitter at Michael G. Barron. So let's welcome Michael into the show. Hey, Michael, how's it going tonight? I'm doing well. Thanks for joining us again. Let's uh, let's start real quick. I know the question of, for us, at least over here in Chicago, the immediate burning question is: What are the chances of Zach Wheeler landing in Chicago when all the dust settles? What are what do you know about that from your end, or have you what have you heard, if anything at all? Well, I mean, I think the field is wide open right now. I mean, it's, I think it would be wise for um, Wheeler's side to get take this to winter meetings when everybody's in the same general vicinity. Um, you know, he's a top, he's one of the top uh, starting pitchers on the market. And, you know, what, what is the team getting? Well, you're getting a, a mature pitcher who has the capability of throwing 100 miles an hour. Um, he can be a little bit erratic at times, but... You know, he's ace-caliber stuff and an ace-caliber mentality, and I think those are things that, you know, 30 clubs thirty clubs could use right about now. So, um, you know, you're hearing all sorts of different all sorts of different scenarios um, all over the country, really. I think, like I said, I think, you know, Wheeler is just, you know, the Wheeler side anyway is just, you know, looking for the best possible fit. And um, that's why it, it, nothing's really narrowed yet for in his market anyway. Right. So I think guys like Garrett Cole and Steven Strasburg, they're going to have a slower moving market that might drag on 
until the near the onset of spring training like we've seen over the last few years, especially with the bigger name free agents. Do you see Wheeler's market having that kind of time frame or do you see him being a piece that kind of falls sooner rather than later? Well, you know, it's a good question because I think in a under normal circumstances, i.e., you know, the lack of a, you know, the, the qualifying offer wasn't such a such a big player. Um, I think you'd see you'd see Wheeler want to wait wait and you know look at what you know guys like Cole and Strasburg ultimately get. Um, you know, so he can better define his market because you know the truth is like Wheeler's not in that you know excuse me Wheeler is not in that tier. So he's probably in the next tier. But having said that, I think Wheeler's market is a little bit more active heading into the winter meetings than it is for Cole or Strasburg. I mean, I, I can I, I still, I personally believe, you know, ultimately Strasburg will go, be going back to Washington. But, mm-hmm. you know, again, like, you know, he's going to, he opted out because he wants fair market value. So, um, you know, he's still going to get a big deal back from Washington. You know, if he, if he were to sign a Washington, they'd give him that fair market value. Um, I, you know, Cole is going to be ridiculously paid. And like you said, I mean, I agree. I think those those situations are going to play out into you know, late December, early January. So, but look, you never know. You know, those winter meetings, a lot of silly things happen. So, um, but, you know, as far as Wheeler goes, I do think that, yeah, you know, I can certainly see the situation getting settled within the next couple of weeks, if not at the winter meeting, certainly before Christmas. That's good to hear. So you, you touched a little bit about Wheeler and, and what he would bring to the table with his high-velocity stuff and his tendency to be a little bit erratic and miss the strike zone at times. But if you could take me a little bit deeper into that, I know that you know he had some injury-plagued years, 2015, 2016, 2017. He didn't pitch a full season. But 2018 and 19 looked very good. What is the what is Zach Wheeler developed into these days? Well, I think when he first when he first came up, and if you if you listen to him after his starts, you know both the good ones or bad ones. You know, he, talk, he was talking a lot about mechanics. You know, my mechanics were in sync, or you know, I could feel my mechanics were out of sync, or you know, my arm slot wasn't here, should have been there. And so I think he's become. I don't want to say less thoughtful, but I would say less worrisome in his mechanics. And he's just, he's trusted, the, he's become someone who trusts the process and trusts the, and, and you know, trusts the, trusts the work that he puts into the entire process to become the pitcher he's become. You know, he's still, you know, if you, if you look at, if you look at, you know, his numbers, you know, just on the surface, you know, you'd say, eh, you know, but, you know, it, there's a stretch there, you know, there, he, he has stretches where he's, you know, he struggles where he struggles to, to stay within the strike zone. And there are other times when, you know, it doesn't look like anyone can hit him. You know, he, he, he looks like Strasburg out there. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of that has to do with his delivery and that there are a lot of moving parts and it's hard for him to be in sync all the time. Um, you know, but at the same time, you know, I said it at the beginning, I think, you know, he went through two and a half years where he didn't pitch, where mm-hmm. he, you know, he had a, he, he not only had Tommy John surgery, but he had a tendon tear as well in the elbow. And he really struggled to get back and get back on the field and be consistent with his stuff. It took him, you know, really, you know, he didn't just, you know, hit the ground running last year, if you recall. So, um, you know, he, but I think that, I think that, Sort of that that time off, that time away from the field, you know, really, you know, helped him. I don't want to say appreciate, you know, what you know what it what it is and what it means to be a big league pitcher, but I think you know he got older and he matured as a person and as a player, 
you know, he was around a lot of, you know, a lot of, you know, experienced coaches, a lot of players who would go to Florida for rehab, you know, a lot of veterans. And I'm sure he learned, you know, just by listening and following those guys around for the time that he spent in Florida. I mean, you heard, used to hear a lot about that with guys like Jacob DeGrom and Stephen Matz when they had their elbow injuries way early in their career. And Johan Santana was down in the minors rehabbing his shoulder. And they, you know, they talked a lot about being around him during that time and how, how much that helped them mature. And I have to say the same about Wheeler. Um, but, you know, you're also talking about a guy who's surrounded by a lot of good people in his family. You know, um, he's got a good support system. And like I said, he's a nice, humble guy. And, um, you know, you're getting a very mature and professional. Any team who signs him, whether it's the Cubs, the White Sox, or whatever, you know, they're, they get, you know, someone who knows how to pitch in a big market in a big spot. And, you know, you're getting mature and, you know, humbled individual on top of it. He's a, he's a very impressive guy. I've been impressed with him since I met him back in 2011. That's good to hear. I, I am. One of the things I was thinking about earlier was, um, you know, he's pitching in New York right now, which is a giant market, just like Chicago. But, you know, he's got Syndergaard and DeGrom in front of him, and there's other stars on that team. And uh, so he doesn't necessarily have a camera in his face every single day, uh, whereas if he was to land here he would immediately become the ace of a budding young pitching staff and a young core all, all the way around the diamond. So he would have that type of pressure on him from the media. He would have a camera in his face all the time. He'd be the number one get for you know media scrums, podcasts, TV interviews, everything. He would. It would, it would be very different for him. Is that something that you think that he can adapt to well? Well, I, I do. And I, and I only say that because I don't think he has a lot to adapt to. I mean, you have to remember you know, the, kind of the star power that he was associated to when he, you know, from, right from the beginning, you know, he was, he was a Giants number one pick in 2009. Then he was traded for a future Hall of Famer in Carlos Beltran. And the, when he got here, when he got to the Mets, and even when he was in the minors, like all eyes, all cameras, all ears were on Zach Wheeler mm-hmm. and his progress through the minor leagues. You know, the same with, with Matt Harvey, the same with Noah Syndergaard. I mean, it's a very... I mean, it's the same way in Chicago, but especially with, you know, the Mets, you know, Mets and fans and media coverage, you know, there's, it's like the minor leagues is almost on the same playing field as the major leagues in terms of coverage. I mean, it's it's an amazing, it's an amazing phenomenon here. So, you know, he's used to, you know, having the spotlight on him. And I think, I don't think he would have trouble at all adapting to that. You know, he's sometimes, you know, he's, he knows how to handle the New York media. Um, you know, I think he's come a long way with how he has handled the media, which can only help him going forward. And look, you know, no matter where he signs, whether it's in, again, whether it's in Chicago, whether it's Texas, whether he comes back to New York, whether he goes to Atlanta, um, you're going to get a guy who's making $20 million a year. That comes with expectations. That comes with pressure. And, you know, I think that's where the new frontier is for him, no matter where he signs, in small market, big market, media market. So, but... You know, if you can if you can play in New York and you can succeed in New York and you can manage the media and all those expectations, I think you can be successful anywhere. How about that for coming back full circle? The Mets trade Wheeler to or uh, let's get Wheeler for Beltran. Then <laughs> Wheeler's essentially on his way out the door now through free agency. Beltran circles back and becomes the manager of the Mets. 
Yeah, I mean, that comment uh, when Beltran signed with the Mets, so what's next? Is Wheeler going to retire and become Beltran's pitching coach? <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. You know, I mean, it's, he's... Um, it's a, it's you know Beltran's career. I mean, I mean that's a whole other discussion. But his career, his career, you know, with the Mets, the way it ended, like I could, you know, personally, I just can't believe he would even think of coming back. But you know, uh, you know, whatever. <laughs> I guess he looked at it. He looked at an opportunity to manage, and he said, you know, I don't care what color the uniform is. I don't know. I mean, it's just, a, it's just a. You know, per- personally, I think that's just hilarious. But what you know, good for him. I, I like him, and I think he's going to be fine. You know, he's one of the smartest baseball people in the game. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I can't blame him. I don't. You know, regardless of how it ended, if you get the opportunity to take a managerial job, especially your first one, and get your foot in the door, I think I take it no matter where. I mean, I'm from Chicago, and you know, there's the, the Cubs and Sox rivalry, but I would I would never even imagine that to lie to people and say I wouldn't manage for the Cubs if the opportunity arose just because of who it is. Well, but, I mean, you think about it in, in his case, in his, in his situation, he's another one. You know, he's, he, I don't know, if, I, I can't remember if he talked about this or hinted at it, but, you know, it sounds to me like he, he himself has matured since his departure. You know, he's gotten older, a little bit wiser, you know, it's water under the bridge for him. He can't be angry at people forever, and, Look, I mean, you got to appreciate that. I mean, what happened, you know, he's certainly not innocent, you know, in that his in the situation. I'm not sure if you're 100% aware of what happened, but no. you know, there was a situation regarding a disagreement on whether or not he needed surgery and the team didn't want him to do it and went ahead and did it anyway. Uh. So, you know, not, neither, neither side is innocent, but it's nice to see both sides come together and say water under the bridge. You know, everyone's just one big happy family. And I think, I think anyone on the outside can appreciate that. Yeah. What do you, what do you think, um, if any impact at all, yes, Manny Grandal could have on Wheeler? That's really a good question. I mean, he's a, he's obviously a plus defensive player. You know, he's, the Mets nearly signed him last winter, actually, to a four year, 60 million ish deal. But, um, you know, I think any pitcher can only benefit from a plus defender, from a plus pitch framer. I mean, Wheeler, and especially, you know, a guy like Wheeler, I think he can especially benefit. Um, and I say that because, you know, pitch framing for Wheeler is important because he does get erratic and he does lose the strikes at a time. So if he can steal some strikes here and there and buy some of those, buy some of those pitches off the corner for him, it can only help him, you know, keep his composure. I talked to, um, I was talking to Tim Ryder earlier, and I and I, I threw a comparison at him between Cindergaard and and Wheeler, and and I, I said if did the Mets make the right call there? Because I know Cindergaard was in a ton of trade discussion leading up to the trade deadline, and now the Mets have essentially pivoted back the other way and decided that they're going to keep him. He's not going anywhere, and now Wheeler, you know, is is in the open market. Is that going to be something that? In the long run, the Mets look back and say maybe we didn't make the right decision there, or are they not not really on the same playing field? Uh, you know, I think time will tell. You know, as you said, they were looking, you know, certainly looking to trade to the guard, especially this past summer when it looked like they weren't going to be in the pennant race. And um, I think one of the paths they were looking to looking to pursue was trading Syndergaard and then extending Wheeler, and then. 
you know, for one reason or another, you know, the Mets decided not to trade Syndergaard. And, I, you know, there I think there are a number of reasons why, one of which includes fan sentiment in, in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think they still, I'm not entirely sure, but they still attempted to pursue a long-term deal with Wheeler during the summer. And it just, nothing ever really, you know, developed into anything serious. Um, so I think, you know, so that to, to answer your question, I think there were scenarios where they wanted to keep both of them. And, um, you know, it still remains to be seen if they keep Wheeler, although I, I, I haven't heard or seen any momentum for that to, ha- you know, for that to actually happen. But, you know, like I said, the winter meetings are weird. And, you know, one thing I do know about Zach Wheeler is that, you know, throughout all the years, you know, that he was with the Mets and, um, all the different trade scenarios, and he was nearly traded in Milwaukee in 2015. Now, this is a guy who personally called Sandy Alderson when he was the general manager at the time and said, I want to be a part of this. You know, what, is it, what does that mean? That guy, this guy's loyal to the, the, the company he's employed by. And, you know, he's not, this isn't someone who, you know, is just collecting a paycheck and whatever team he's playing on is whatever he's, team he's playing on. I think you're getting, you know, you're getting that intangible, you know, the guy who wants to represent um, the team he's playing for more than anything, and uh, uh, you know, you always want people who want to be with you. And I think Wheeler, with whatever team he ends up signing with, he's going to obviously want to feel wanted. But you know, the key for him, I, you know, I think part of it is that he really is going to want to have, want to be with the team that he signs with. He's not just going to sign because someone gave him the big, the biggest offer in the end. That's just a personal opinion of mine. But I don't think, you know, if it comes down to let's say he gets a hundred million dollar offer from. Team X and a ninety-five million dollar offer from Team Y. If he wants to pitch for Team Y, and they won't, they won't come up to the hundred million. I think he'll go to Team Y. That's just the person I came to know. So, um, you know, but we'll see. I could be wrong. You know, maybe money talks in the end. You know, but yeah. we'll see. I'm just telling you based on you know the history and you know having gotten to know him, you know, in the years that I covered, you know, the club. So, um, you know, that it's. I can, I can see that playing out that way with him, you know, where he chooses the place he wants to be, the team where he feels most comfortable, and the team that he wants to help win more than just, you know, the Benjamins. That's really good stuff, Michael. I mean, that sounds like the kind of high-character guy. I mean, it, it, that, that just made me even more excited about the potential of it. I'm sure it'll make all the listeners excited, too. I mean, this is that's that's the guy you want. Like, it doesn't matter what club you are or where you're at in, in, in your in your stages of winning or your window, that's that's the guy you want to grab, the guy like that. Yeah, I mean, you. I think, you know, you, you, it takes two to tangle always, but you always want a guy. You know, if, if a guy says, I want to play for your team, that's a guy that you should want to pursue. You know, you made it work, especially if it's a good high-ceiling talent like Zach Wheeler. I mean, you know, Zach Wheeler is swinging this stuff every fifth day. You know, he's a guy that can help win. You know, he can change the dynamic of a pitch of a rotation just with the potential alone. So, and if he wants to pitch for your team, then you know, even better. And you know, we just have to see how it plays out. I mean, I always thought he personally. I always thought he'd leave the Mets and go pitch for the Braves. I mean, he grew up outside of Atlanta. You know, and he, you know, he, you know, he, he, he I, I believe I can't remember specifically, but he, I think he was a Braves fan at growing up, and. Um, I always felt like if he were to leave, that was the team he would go to. But I haven't seen or heard any, you know, anything in that area yet. I mean, time again, we'll see what happens. But um, you know, I w- 
that's where I always thought the natural fit was. That's interesting. That's a great point. Um, <clears throat> last question. You mentioned ceiling. I mean, we know what Zach Wheeler is right now on the surface. Where is his ceiling? Among among the upper echelon of pitchers or the middle echelon of pitchers in baseball, that second tier just below, where, where do you think when it's when he reaches that peak, his ceiling ends up looking like? You know, it's a good question because you know we keep like we always talk about Zach Wheeler's stuff and the dynamic, you know that dynamic element that he brings every fifth day. But I think what has what is I mean I think the injuries you know the elbow injury really, really slowed his career down. I mean, you can say that about a lot of pitchers, but, you know, my, I, you know I've watched Zach Wheeler since the day he got here. And, um, you know, I always thought, like, boy, if he didn't, if he just had had that Tommy John and didn't tear that tendon, like, where would he be today? Because, you know, when you miss a lot of time, when you miss time, your skills erode. When you miss time away from the field, you know, it, the longer you're away, the more those skills erode. So to, the longer it takes to get those, to, you know, get those, skills back to where they need to be and I think you've seen that process with Zach Wheeler and I only say that because at times you know, when, when he started you know you know it was really difficult to see him contributing at the you know, for, you know at the beginning of the you know coming back from the injury it was hard to see where he was at that time you know contributing you know at, a high, at the high level we always expected he could contribute at but so but I think as time has gone on you know, he's seen those that that potential. You know, we've all seen that potential. What he can do in a big spot in a big game. You know, for you know, you know, we saw it with the Mets. You know, down the stretch this you know this summer. So I think he's you know, you know, he's 29 years old. I think he still has, you know, he still hasn't reached his ceiling because, you know, like I said, you know, he can have these stretches where he's dominating, he's lights out, but then he has, you know, takes a couple steps back. You know, he has a you know a couple of rough outings where he can't even get out of his own way, you know, mechanic wise, location wise, you know, and it's just you know he can have a messy stretch. So I think you know I think he's on the cusp of breaking through and almost signing for an under market value. I think he's capable of pitching above whatever contract he signs. But um, you know, I think staying healthy from here on out is super key for him in getting to that point. But I think if he can, you know, I think next year is a big year for him. I really do. Wherever he's pitching, I think he's going to put up some big numbers if, as long as he's healthy. That's good stuff. Hey, Michael, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your insight with us. Um, and I hope you have a good Thanksgiving. And, uh, pre- again, appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. It was my pleasure. Anytime. It was a lot of fun. All right, Michael. I'll talk to you. Thank you. All right. All right. Bye-bye. That was Michael Barron, folks. Um, again, give Michael a follow on Twitter, at Michael G. Barron. Michael has a lot of uh, personal experience with Zach Wheeler, as you heard in the interview. I mean, from his time covering the Mets for SNY and uh, MLB, he got to know the person that Wheeler is, the type of pitcher that he is, and he really provided a great look into uh, what what the White Sox, or any club that lands Wheeler, what, what they're going to be getting. And it sounds like you know, a, a great fit, I mean, for, for anybody. So let's keep our fingers crossed, and we'll see how this plays out. Um, I hope you all enjoyed listening and learning as much as we can about 
uh, potential fit between Zach Wheeler and the White Sox. And I hope you all enjoy the rest of your Thanksgiving holiday. And in the meantime, I'll talk to you guys later. If you don't know by now, I'm talking about Chi-Town. and taking it out of the air. Lord Stanley's new address is sweet home Chicago. The Chicago Blackhawks have won the Stanley Cup. Maybe we could start again.